Chapter Twenty of Through the Fray by T. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gabrielle C. Chapter Twenty, Cleared at Last. The night was a wild one. The weather had changed suddenly, and the rain beat fiercely in the faces of the hands as they made their way back from the mill up to Varley. As the night came on, the storm increased. The wind, as it swept across the moor, swirled down into the hollow in which Varley stood, as if it would scoop the houses out of their foundations, and the drops of rain were driven against roof and wall with the force of hailstones. Bill Swinton was sitting up again with John Stukeley, and as he bent over the sick man's bed, and tenderly lifted his head while he held a cup with some cooling drink to his lips, the contrast between his broad, powerful figure and his face, marked with the characteristics alike of good temper, kindness, and a resolute will, and a then emaciated envelope was very striking. Stokely's face was without a vestige of color. His eyes were hollow and surrounded by dark circles. His cheeks were of an ashen gray pallor, which deepened almost to a light color around his lips. "'Thou else did not talk so much, John,' Bill was saying. "'Thou knowest the doctor said thou must not excite thyself.' "'It makes no difference, Bill, no difference at all, talk or not talk. "'What does it matter? "'I am dying, and he knows it, and I know it. "'So do you. "'That bit of lead in my body had done its work. "'Strange, isn't it, that you should be here nursing me "'when I have thought of shooting you a score of times? "'A year ago it seemed absurd that Polly Pallet "'should like a boy like you better than a man like me, "'and yet I was sure it was because of you "'she would have nothing to say to me.' but you is right you will make the best husband of the two i suppose it's because of that i sent for you i was very fond of polly bill and when i felt that i was going and there wasn't any use my being jealous any longer i seemed to turn to you i knew you would come for you have always been ready to do a kindness to a chap who was down you are different to the other lads here i do believe you are fond of reading whenever you think i am asleep you take up your book I am trying to improve myself, Bill said quietly. Mr. Sankey put me in the void way. He gives me an hour, and sometimes two, every evening. He has been wonderful kind to me, he has. There ain't nothing I wouldn't do for him. The sick man moved uneasily. No more wouldn't Luke and Polly, Bill went on. His father gives his life, you know, for little Jenny. No, there ain't not we wouldn't do for him. He continued, glad to turn the subject from that of Stukeley's affection for Polly. He'd be one of the best of maesters. Or we get my life's let of so be as we could clear him of that business of Mulvides. For a minute or two, not a word was said. The wind roared around the building, and in the intervals of gusts, the high clock in the corner of the room ticked steadily and solemnly, as if distinctly intimating that its movements were not to be hurried by the commotion without. Stukeley had closed his eyes, and Bill began to hope that he was going to doze off when he asked suddenly, "'Bill, do you know who sent that letter that was read at the trial? I mean the one from the chap that said he had done it and was ready to t give himself up if the boy was found guilty?' Bill did not answer. "'You can tell me if you know,' Stukeley said impatiently. "'You don't suppose it's I'm going to tell now. Maybe I shan't see anyone to tell this side of the grave, for I doubt as I shall see the morning. Who wrote it?' 
I wrote it, Bill said, but it weren't me as was coming forward. It were Luke's idea first. He made up his mind as to own up as it was he who did it, and to be hung for it to save Maester Ned, because the captain lost his life for little Jenny. But he didn't do it, Stickley said sharply. No, he didn't do it, Bill replied. There was a silence again for a long time. Then Stickley opened his eyes suddenly. Bill, I should like to see Polly again. Does think as she will come and say good-bye? Oh, I am sure she will, Beth said steadily. Shall Lloyd go and fetch her? It's a wild night to ask a gal to come out on such an errand, Stukely said doubtfully. Polly won't mind that, Bill replied confidently. She'll just wrap her shawl round the head and come over. We will run across and fetch her. I will not be gone three minutes. In little more than that time, Bill returned with Mary Pallet. I am awfully sorry to hear you are so bad, John, the girl said frankly. I am dying, Polly. I know that or I wouldn't have sent for thee. It were a good day for you when you said no to what I asked you. Never mind that now, John. That's all past and gone. Ay, that's all past and gone. I only wanted to say as I wish you well, Polly, and I hope you'll be happy, and I pr am pretty nice sure of it. Bill here tells me that you set your heart on having young Sinky cleared of that business as was against him. Is that so? That is so, John. He has been very kind to us all, to Father and all of us. He is a good master to his men, and has kept many a mouthful this winter, as would have been short of food without him. But why do you ask me? Just a fancy of mine, gal. Such a fancy has come into the head of a man at the last. When you get back, son Luke here. It is late and maybe he has gone to bed, but tell him I must speak to him. And now good-bye, Polly. God bless you. I don't know as I hasn't been wrong about all this business, but it didn't seem so to me afore. Just try and think that, will you, when you hear about it. I thought as I was acting for the good of the men. I will always remember that, Polly said gently. Then she took the thin hand of the man in hers, glanced at Bill as if she would ask his approval, and reading acquiescence in his eyes, she stooped over the bed and kissed Stukely's forehead. Then, without a word, she left the cottage and hurried away through the darkness. A few minutes later, Luke Marner came in, and to Bill's surprise, Stukely asked him to leave the room. In five minutes, Luke came out again. "'Go into him, Bill,' he said hoarsely. "'Or you think he be a-sinking. For God's sake, keep him up!' Give him that wine and broth stuff as thou canst. Keep him going till oi come back again. Thou don't know what depends on it. Hurrying back to his cottage, Luke threw on a thick coat, and to the astonishment of Polly and now said he was going down into Marston. What, on such a night as this, feyther? Aye, lass, and what if it were ten times worse? Get ye into that room and go down on thy knees and pray God to keep John Stukely alive and clear-headed till oi comes back again. It was many years since Luke Marner's sled had carried him so fast as they now did into Marston. The driving rain and hail which beat against him seemed unheeded as he ran down the hill at the top of his speed. He stopped at the doctor's and went in. Two or three minutes after the arrival of this late visitor, Dr. Crane's housekeeper was astonished at hearing the bell ring violently. On answering the bell, she was ordered to arouse John, who had already gone to bed, and to tell him to put the horse into the gig instantly. Not on such a night as this, doctor. Surely you are not a-going out on such a night as this. Hold your tongue, woman, and do as you are told instantly, the doctor said with far greater spirit than usual, for his housekeeper was, as a general thing, mistress of the establishment. 
with an air of greatly offended dignity she retired to carry out his orders three minutes later the doctor ran out of his room as he heard the manservant descending the stairs john he said i am going on at once to mr thompson's bring the gig round there i shan't want you to go further with me hurry up man and don't lose a moment it is a matter of life and death a quarter of an hour later dr green and with mr thompson by his side drove off through the tempest toward varley the next morning as ned was at breakfast the doctor was announced what a pestilently early hour you breakfast at ned i was not in bed till three o'clock and i scarcely seem to have been asleep an hour when i was obliged to get up to me in time to catch you before you were off that is hard on you indeed doctor ned said smiling but why this haste have you got some patient for whom you want my help you need not have got up so early for that you know you could have ordered anything you wanted for him in my name you might have been sure i should have honored the bill but what made you so late last night you are surely never out in such a gale i was ned and strange as it seems i never went in answer to a call which gave me so much satisfaction my dear lad i hardly know how to tell you i have a great piece of news for you the greatest the best news that man could have to tell you ned drew a long breath and a color left his cheeks you don't mean doctor you can't mean and he paused that you are cleared my boy yes that is my news thank god ned your innocence is proved ned could not speak for a minute he sat silent and motionless then he bent forward and covered his face with his hands and his lips moved as he murmured a deep thanksgiving to god for this mercy while lucy and charlie with cries of surprise and delight leaped from the table and when ned rose to his feet threw their arms round his neck with enthusiastic delight while the doctor wrung his hand and then taking out his pocket handkerchief wiped his eyes violently declaring as he did so that he was an old fool tell me all about it doctor how has it happened what has brought it about luke marner came down to tell me at ten o'clock last night to tell me that john stickley was dying which i knew very well for when i saw him in the afternoon i saw he was sinking fast but he told me too that the man was anxious to sign a declaration before a magistrate to the effect that it was he who killed your stepfather i had my gig got out and hurried away to thompson's the old fellow was rather crusty at being called out on such a night but to do him justice i must say he went readily enough when he found out what he was required for though it must have given him a twinge of conscience for you know he has never been one of your partisans however off we drove and got there in time stukely made a full confession it all happened just as we thought it had been determined by the luddites to kill mulvady and stukely determined to carry out the business himself convinced as he said that the man was a tyrant and an oppressor and his, that his death was not only richly deserved but that such a blow was necessary to encourage the luddites he did not care however to run the risk of taking any of the others into his confidence and therefore carried it out alone and to this day although some of the others may have their suspicions no one knows for certain that he was the perpetrator of the act he had armed himself with a pistol and went down to the mill intending to shoot mulvady as he came out at night but stumbling upon the rope i thought that it was a safer and more certain means after fastening it across the road he sat down and waited intending to shoot your stepfather if the accident didn't turn out fatal after the crash finding that mulvady's neck was broken that he was dead he made off home he wished especially to be placed on a supposition that he made his confession not from any regret at having killed mulvady but simply to oblige mary pallet whose heart was bent upon your innocence being proved 
He signed a deposition in the presence of Thompson, myself, and Bill Swinton. And you think it is true, doctor? You really think it is true? It is not like Luke's attempt to save me? I am certain it is true, Ned. The man was dying, and there was no mistake about his earnestness. There is not a shadow of doubt. I went with Swinton back in the gig with Thompson and stayed with the man till half past two. He was unconscious then. He may linger a few hours, but will not live out the day, and there is little chance of his again recovering consciousness. Thompson will today send a copy of the deposition to the Home Secretary, with a request that it may be made public through the newspapers. It will appear in all the Yorkshire papers next Saturday, and all the world will know that you are innocent. What will my mother say? Ned exclaimed, turning pale again. I don't know what she will say, my boy, but I know what she ought to say. I ain't going round to Thompson now for the copy of the deposition, and will bring it for her to see. Thompson will read it aloud at the meeting of the court today, so by this afternoon everyone will know that you are cleared. Abacha's joy when she heard that Ned's innocence was proved was no less than that of his brother and sister. She would have rushed upstairs at once to tell the news to her mistress, but Ned persuaded her not to do so until the doctor's return. Then he'll have to be quick, Abijah said, for if the mistress's bell rings and I have to go up before he comes, I shall never be able to keep it to myself. She'll see it in my face if something has happened. If the bell rings, Miss Lucy, you must go up, and if she asks for me, say that I am particular busy, and will be up in a few minutes. The bell, however, did not ring before the doctor's return. After a short consultation between him and Ned, Abijah was called in. Mr. Sankey agrees with me, Abijah, that you had better break the news. Your mistress is more accustomed to you than to anyone else, and you understand her ways. Here is a deposition. I will wait below here till you come down. There is no saying how she will take it. Be sure you break the news gently. Abijah went upstairs with a hesitating step, strongly in contrast with her usual quick, bustling walk. She had before felt rather agreed that the doctor should be the first to break the news, but now she felt the difficulty of the task and would gladly have been spared the responsibility. "'I have been expecting you for the last quarter of an hour, Abijah,' Mrs. Mulvady said querulously. "'You know how I hate to have the room untidy after I have dressed.' "'Why, what's the matter?' she broke off sharply as she noticed Abijah's face. "'Why, you have been crying.' "'Yes, ma'am, I have been crying.' Abijah said unsteadily, but I don't know as ever I shall cry again, for I have had such good news as will last me the rest of my whole life. What news? Mrs. Mulvady said quickly. What are you making a mystery about, and what is that paper in your hand? Well, ma'am, God has been very good to us all. I knew as he would be sooner or later, though sometimes he began to doubt whether it would be in my time, and it did break my heart to see Maister Ned going about so pale and unnatural like for a lad like him, and to know as there was people as thought that he was a murderer. And now, thank God, it is all over. All over? What do you mean, Abijah? Mrs. Mulvady exclaimed, rising suddenly from her invalid chair. What do you mean by saying it is all over? And she seized the old nurse's arm with an eager grasp. Don't excite yourself so, mistress. You have been sore tried, but it is over now, and today all the world will know as Maister Ned has proved to be innocent. This here paper is a copy of the confession of the man as did it, and who is, they say, dead by this time. It was taken all right and proper for a magistrate. Innocent, Miss Mulvady gasped in a voice scarcely above a whisper. Did you tell me, Abijah, that my boy, my boy Ned, is innocent? I never doubted as he was innocent, ma'am, but now, thank God, all the world will know it. 
"'There, ma'am, sit yourself down. Don't look like that. I know it's how you must feel, but for mercy's sake, don't look like that.' Mrs. Mulvaney did not seem to hear her, did not seem to notice, as she passively permitted herself to be seated in a chair, while Abijah poured out a glass of wine. Her face was pale and rigid, her eyes wide open, her expression one of horror rather than relief. "'Innocent, proved innocent,' she murmured. "'What must he think of me? Me, his mother?' For some time she sat looking straight before her, taking no notice of the efforts of Abijah to call her attention, and unheeding the glass of wine which she had been pressed her to drink. "'I must go away,' she said at last, rising suddenly. "'I must go away at once. Has he gone yet?' "'Go away, ma'am. Why, what should you go away for, and where are you going?' "'It does not matter. It makes no difference,' Mrs. Mulvady said feverishly. "'So that I get away. Put some of my things together, Abijah.' "'What are you staring there for? "'Don't you hear what I say? "'I must go away directly he has started for the mill.' "'And with trembling fingers she began to open her drawers "'and pull out her clothes. "'But you can't go away like that, mistress. "'You can't indeed,' Abijah said aghast. "'I must go, Abijah. "'There is nothing else for me to do. "'Do you think I could see him after treating him as I have done? "'I should fall dead at his feet for shame.' "'But where are you going, ma'am?' "'Abijah said, thinking it better not to attempt to argue with her in her present state. "'I don't know. I don't know. Yes, I do. "'Do you know whether that cottage you were telling me where you lived while you were away from here is to let? "'That will do nicely, for there I should be away from everyone. "'Get me a box from the lumber room, and tell Harriet to go out and get me a post-chase from the Red Lion "'as soon as my son has gone to the mill.' "'Very well,' said Abijah said. "'I'll do as you want me, ma'am, if you'll sit down quiet and not excite yourself.' You know you have not been out of your room for a year, and if you go attiring yourself like this, you'll never be able to stay in the journey. You sit down in the chair, and I'll do the packing for you. You can tell me what things you'll take with you. I'll get the box down. So saying, Abijah left the room, and running hastily downstairs, told Ned and the doctor the manner in which Mrs. Mulvady had received the news. Ned would have run up at once to his mother, but Dr. Green would not hear of it. It would not do, Ned, and your mother's presence state the shock of seeing you might have the worst effect. "'Run up, Abijah, and get the box down to her. "'I'll go out and come back and knock at the door in two or three minutes, "'and will go up and see her, and, if necessary, "'I'll give her a strong, soothing draught. "'You had better tell her that from what you hear "'you believe Mr. Sankey is not going to the mill today. "'That will make her delay for her preparations for moving until tomorrow, "'and will give us time to see what is best to be done.' "'I have brought the box, mistress,' Abijah said as she entered Mrs. Mulvady's room. "'But I don't think as you'll want to pack today.' "'for here's Mr. Nettie going to the mill. "'You see all the town will be coming to see him "'to shake hands with him "'and tell him how glad they is that he is cleared. "'And only I can't,' Mrs. Mulvady wailed. "'To think of it, only I, his mother, can't see him. "'And I must stop in the house for another day. "'Oh, it is too hard. "'But I deserve it and everything else. "'There's Dr. Green's knock,' Abijah said. "'I can't see him, Abijah. "'I can't see him.' "'I think you had better see him, ma'am. "'You always do see him, you know, "'and it will look so strange if you don't. "'There, I'll pop these things into the drawers again "'and hide the box.' Abijah bustled about actively, "'and before Mrs. Mulvady had time to take any decided step, "'Dr. Green knocked at the door and came in. "'How are you today, Mrs. Mulvady?' he asked cheerfully. "'This is a joyful day indeed for us all. "'The whole place is wild with the news, "'and I expect we shall be having a deputation presently "'to congratulate Ned.' "'I am not feeling very well,' Mrs. Mulvady said faintly. 
the shock has been too much for me very natural very natural indeed dr green said cheerily we could hardly hope it would be otherwise but after this good news i expect we shall soon make a woman of you again yes and will be the most popular man in the place people will not know how to make enough of him porson and i who have been cheering him all along will have to snub him now or his head will be turned now let me fill your pools dear dear this will not do at all it's going like a mill engine this will never do if you do not calm yourself we shall be having you in bed again for a long bout i will send you a bottle of soothing medicine you must take it every two hours and keep yourself perfectly quiet there i will not talk to you now about this good news for i see that you are not fit to stand it you must lie down on the sofa at once and not get off again to-day i will look in this evening and see how you are frightened at the threat that if she were not quiet she might be confined to her bed for weeks mrs mulvady obeyed orders took her medicine when it arrived and lay quiet on the sofa for a long time the sedative failed to have any effect every five minutes throughout the day there were knocks at the door every one who knew ned and many who did not called to congratulate him some like mr thompson made a half apology for having so long doubted him a few like mr simmons were able to heartily assure him that they had never in their hearts believed it ned was too full of gratitude and happiness to cherish the slightest animosity and he received warmly and thankfully the congratulations which were showered upon him he looks like another man was the universal comment of his visitors and indeed it was so the cloud which had so long overshadowed him had passed away and the look of cold reserve had vanished with it and he was prepared again to receive the world as a friend he was most moved when early in the day mr porson and the whole of the boys arrived as soon as he had left mrs mulready dr green had hurried down to the schoolhouse with the news and mr porson as soon as he heard it had announced it from his desk adding that after such news as that he could not expect them to continue their lessons and that the rest of the day must therefore be regarded as a holiday he yielded a ready assent when the boys entreated that they might go in a body to congratulate ned ned was speechless for a time as his old friend wrung his hand and his former schoolfellows clustered about him with a very babble of congratulations and good wishes only the knowledge that his mother was ill above prevented them from breaking into uproarious cheering. In the afternoon, hearing that his mother was still awake, Ned, accompanied by Mr. Porson, went out for a stroll, telling Harriet that she was to remain at the open door while he was away, so as to prevent anyone from knocking. It was something of a trial to Ned to walk through the street which he had passed along so many times in the last year, oblivious of all within it. Every man and woman he met insisted on shaking hands with him tradesmen left their shops and ran out to greet him and there was no mistaking the general enthusiasm which was felt on the occasion and the desire of everyone to atone as far as possible for the unmerited suffering which had been inflicted on him when he returned at six o'clock he found harriet still on the watch and she said in low tones that abijah had just come downstairs with the news that her mistress had fallen asleep i should not think that any one more will come harriet but i will get you to stop here for a little longer then we must fasten up the knocker and take off the bell the doctor says that it is all important that my mother should get along and undisturbed sleep. Dr. Green came in again in the evening and had a long chat with Ned. It was nearly midnight before Mrs. Mulvady awoke. On opening her eyes she saw Ned sitting at a short distance from the sofa. She gave a sudden start and then a look of terror came into her face. Ned rose to his feet and held out his arms with the one word, Mother! Mrs. Mulvady slid down from the sofa and threw herself on her knees with her hands clasped oh my boy my boy she cried can you forgive me then as he raised her in his arms she fainted 
It was a happy party, indeed, that assembled round the breakfast table next morning. Mrs. Mulready was at the head of the table making tea, looking pale and weak, but with a look of quiet happiness and contentment on her face such as her children had never seen there before, but which was henceforth to be its habitual expression. Ned did not carry out his original intention of entering the army. Mr. Simmons warmly offered to make the application for a commission for him, but Ned declined. He had made up his mind, he said, to stick to the mill. There was plenty of work to be done there, and as he foresaw that with the continued improvement of machinery there was a great future for the manufacturing interests of England. The Ludite movement gradually died out. The high rewards offered for the discovery of the murderers of Mr. Horsfall and of the other assailants of Cartwright's mill had their effect. Three croppers, Muller, Thorpe, and Smith, were denounced and brought to trial. All three had been concerned in the murder, together with Walker, who turned King's evidence for the reward. Muller and Thorpe had been fired the fatal shots. The same men had been the leaders in the attack on Cartwright's mill. They were tried at the assizes at York on the 2nd of January, 1813, with 64 of their comrades before Baron Thomas and Judge LeBlanc, and were found guilty, although they were defended by Henry, afterward Lord, Brougham. Muller, Thorpe, and Smith were executed three days afterward. Fourteen of the others were hung, as were five Luddites who were tried before another tribunal. After this wholesale act of severity, the Luddite disturbances soon came to an end. The non-success which had intended their efforts, and the execution of the, all their leaders, thoroughly cowed the rioters, and their ranks were speedily thinned by the number of hands who found employment in the rapidly increasing mills in the district. Anyhow, from that time, the Luddite conspiracy ceased to be formidable. The Sankey's mill at Morrison flourished greatly under Ned's management. Every year saw additions to the buildings and machinery until it became one of the largest concerns in Yorkshire. He was not assisted, as he had at one time hoped he should be, by his brother in the management, but he was well contented when Charlie, when on leaving school, declared his wish to go to Cambridge and then to enter the church, a life for which he was far better suited by temperament than for the active life of a man of business. The trial through which Ned Sankey had passed had a lasting effect upon his character. Whatever afterward occurred to vex him in business, he was never known to utter a hasty word or to form a hasty judgment. He was ever busy in devising schemes for the benefit of his workpeople, and to be in Sankey's mill was considered as the greatest piece of good fortune which could befall a hand. Four years after the confession of John Stukeley, Ned married the daughter of his friend George Cartwright, and settled down in a handsome house which he had built for himself a short distance out of Marston. Lucy was soon afterwards settled in a house of her own, having married a young landowner with ample estates. Mrs. Mulready, in spite of the urgent persuasions of her son and his young wife, refused to take up her residence with them, but established herself in a pretty little house close at hand, spending, however, a considerable portion of each day with him at his home. The trials through which he had gone had done even more for her than for Ned. All Aquarius licenses had disappeared. She was bright, cheerful, and even-tempered. Ned used to tell her that she grew younger-looking every day. Her pride and happiness in her son were unbounded, and these culminated when, ten years after his accession to the management of the bill, Ned acceded to the request of a large number of manufacturers in the district to stand for Parliament as a representative of the mill-owning district, and was triumphantly returned at the head of the poll. Of the other characters of the story little need be said. Dr. Green and Mr. and Mrs. Porson remained Ned's closest friend to the end of their lives. Mary Pallet did not compel Bill Swinton to wait until the situation of the foreman of the mill became vacant, but married him two years after the death of John Stukeley. Bill became in time not only foreman, but the confidential manager of the mill, 
and he and his wife were all their lives on the footing of dear friends with Mr. and Mrs. Sankey. Luke Marner remained foreman of his room until too old for further work, when he retired on a comfortable pension, and was succeeded in his post by his son George. Ned and Amy Sankey had a large family, who used to listen with awe and admiration to the tale of the terrible trial which had once befallen their father, and of the way in which he had indeed been tried in the fire. The End of Chapter 20 A Recording by Gabrielle C. End of Through the Fray by G. A. Henty